You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 712 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It is Wednesday evening. Deep into the night here, not too late, not as late as last night. If you listened to the podcast yesterday, you will probably note that uh, I was kind of delirious. It was probably, you know, nearing 3 o'clock in the morning by the time that podcast went up. This time around, it's about 11-something before the trade deadline on Wednesday, so I will still timestamp the podcast as I'm recording it because uh, the deadline is still nearing and the Hawks could be active, but considering they've now made two trades, yes, two trades of significance in the last 24 hours, I'm expecting a little bit more quiet the rest of the way, but we'll see. Um, but anyway, we are the Hawks did play a basketball game tonight, which is going to be the second half of this podcast, talking a little bit about what became a 127 to 120 victory in Minnesota. But before we get to that, the Hawks made big news during the fourth quarter, actually, um, with a deal to bring old friend Dwayne Dedman home. The Hawks have not announced this deal just yet. It was reported widely, though, by multiple sources and now confirmed by multiple sources. Um, Alex Lynn and Jabari Parker are going to be heading to Sacramento in exchange for Dwayne Dedman, who was the, the Hawks' starting center in the last two seasons, and two second-round draft picks. Um, for some background, Dedman has not been very good this season in Sacramento. He was uh, out of the rotation entirely for a while. His shooting has not been there. He's been he's 14 of 71 from three this year, which is brutal considering where he was the last two seasons, just not playing very well and not fitting well in Sacramento. As a result of that, potentially uh, he publicly asked for a trade. So Dedman's been very, very available. And as a result of that, he's been sort of linked to the Hawks a few times. Now, with Capella already in the mix, as of Tuesday evening, it's definitely more surprising now that the Hawks would trade for Dedman because they already made their big move at starting center, and Dedman with Capella on board would not be a backup. Alas, um, the Hawks paid an interesting price here. We'll talk about the price in a second, um, but it's not exactly a, a king's ransom necessarily for Dedman, and that makes it a little bit more palatable, even in a world where he is going to be a backup on the Hawks when Clint Capella is fully healthy. Still, you know, Devin was really good with the Hawks for two years, shot 37% from three on real volume, and uh, is that rare sort of three and D center. Not a lot of guys can do that. Devin's not a great defender, but he's certainly a solid one, and his three-point shooting in Atlanta, he was a great fit because he could shoot it and space the floor and play with John Collins, etc. So we'll come back to that more in a moment. As for what's going out... Alex Lynn uh, is someone I've liked quite a bit. Alex Lynn is someone who I think is a rotation player. He's been banged up re- recently. He's battling the hip injury, and that probably uh, contributed to somewhat of his end in Atlanta. But this is also a contract year for Alex, and I'm not sure he's going to be re-signed, particularly after the fact that Capella, that Capella was brought in. So not a huge surprise that he'd be traded. Um, still someone I like and think is a uh, quality player in the league. Um, Jamari Parker had some nice moments before he got injured this year. He's been dealing with, with, a sh- with a shoulder injury for quite some time now. Hasn't played in a long time, uh, several weeks. But um, the big thing to keep in mind with Jabari is that he had a player option for next season at about $6.5 million. That is definitely a part of the evaluation here. But um, there you go on that. You know, And Len is expiring, as I said before. Um, not something that you know is a huge value when it comes to Parker's player option and Len's bird rights. Uh, sorry, early bird rights, all that stuff. It's not um, surprising that neither one of those guys will be back in Atlanta. Uh, Sam Amick of The Athletic and a couple of other sources now have been reporting that the two second-round picks coming to Atlanta in the deal 
are a 2020 second round pick, which is this this year from Houston. The Rockets are good teams. So that projects to be a pretty bad pick, probably somewhere in the low 40s or high 50s. Not a great pick necessarily. And then you get into the 2021 pick is the second pick coming uh, from Miami. And Miami is, uh, they're certainly all in right now. I can't imagine, I mean, I guess I can imagine that Miami would not be in, in, incredible in two years, but certainly not, does not project to be a very good pick. So in short, the two, the two second round picks are not nothing, but they're not great picks. The Hawks don't have second rounders in either of the next two drafts on their own, so this this sort of refills the coffers to that extent. But at the same time, these two picks are not going to be projected into be in that you know in the 30s or even the, the low 40s. So keep that in mind when planning ahead. Um, that definitely deflates some of the value when it comes to this trade. Um, cap wise, salary cap wise, Deadman is owed 13.3 million dollars for this year and next year. Um, that's a lot of money next year for a backup center, to be sure. Um, but as I said, as I said before, Jabari's six and a half million dollar player option. I poked around the league a little bit in the immediate aftermath of this trade. People seem to think, and I agree with this, that Parker is likely now to opt in to that deal because of the fact that you know even even with some nice signs early on this season, his defense is a problem. It doesn't, it doesn't always fit everywhere, and then the injury stuff. He's missed so much time now. Um, that you know you have to kind of assume he's going to be opting in. It's not impossible he would opt out, but for cap purposes, I was assuming the last few weeks, and especially now that I've talked to some people uh, in the last you know couple of hours now, Parker is someone I'm going to assume is going to opt in to that money. So, in short, you're uh, adding some money, but not uh, not a ton of money. And I think you know I talked about this a little bit on Twitter with Nate Duncan after the trade. I think for me, this is my interpretation. No one's told me this, but I think it seems fairly clear to me. The Hawks would not have done this deal if they really wanted to have Parker at $6.5 million next year. I think they're probably viewing that as a negative, or this deal probably doesn't happen. That's just my interpretation, but uh, it seems like one that I think is fairly reasonable at this moment in time. Um, by the way, just for a point of clarification, Deadman also has some money guaranteed for the following season. On a cap sheet, you will see that Deadman is actually under contract for $13.3 million in 21-22, but only $1 million of that is guaranteed. So um, I will treat that as a, it's pretty unlikely that the Hawks are going to want to are going to want to pay him that money in that season as a backup center. So I'm going to assume that's going to be a $1 million buyout situation, and we'll, and we'll sort of treat that as such. In short, I would say look at it this way. If you are a Hawks fan trying to see like why the Hawks would do this, there are, def- there are definitely some ramifications on all sides here. But the Hawks are basically giving up about $7 million in cap space because you're paying Deadman about $7 million more than Parker for next season. You're getting two picks to do it. Granted, they're not great picks. but So you're getting a little bit of, of uh, capital in the draft. You're, you're giving up some cap space. But... I think Deadman's a better player than Parker. Um, that definitely matters. Uh, it's certainly going to be interesting to see how Deadman plays because, um, as I said before, he's, he's really struggled this year. And, you know, on the low end, if Deadman is as bad as he has been in Sacramento this year, which I don't think is going to happen, but it's certainly not a 0% chance. If that is the case, then this deal was probably not great for Atlanta. If, if Deadman can rebuild some of his value, it looks a lot better. Um, I think it's definitely odd because of the timing with the huge investment in center, and I think John Collins probably won't be playing center a whole lot now when you have Capella and Deadman. But as we saw last season and the year before that, I think Collins and Deadman are very good fits together. We talked about that a lot on the podcast, even this summer uh, after Deadman was going out, was that Deadman brings a lot of things that fit well with Collins. So if you looked... 
to maybe stagger, as we talked about in yesterday's podcast, um, maybe have Capella and Collins not play a ton together. They're going to play some together for sure, but over the, over the course of 48 minutes, um, having Collins be able to play with Deadman actually makes a lot of sense, so that actually helps in that um, particular setup. I would say it's not maybe great for Bruno Fernando's development because Bruno is a you know not a not a huge investment for the Hawks, but a second round pick that they traded up for to get, and I think he's been playing in rotation for most of the season. Um, it is tough to find minutes for Bruno if Deadman is healthy and playing well and Capella is healthy and Collins is healthy. Um, people were suggesting that Bruno could be the backup power forward. Uh, I don't love that. I, don't, I think Bruno is a center. I think the Hawks view him as a center. Um, he's played some power forward this year, but kind of out of necessity when the Hawks haven't had, haven't had other options. So um, it's not great for Bruno in the, in the near term. I guess it's important to note that the Hawks could still make another trade between now and the deadline, but um, it also doesn't just like close the door on Bruno either. So it's it's kind of a weird thing there when it comes to uh, Deadman. Also, one thing that I wanted to profit as a potential scenario here is that the Hawks could conceivably showcase Deadman a little bit, playing him a lot when Capella is going to be out potentially for the next couple of games. Um, Lloyd Pierce actually said to the media after um, the game on Wednesday that Capella will not be joining them in Boston, and given the reporting about his heel injury. It would not surprise anyone if he doesn't play for a, for a couple weeks here. And if Devin comes in and you sort of head, uh, showcase him a little bit, have him rebuild some value because you know, just a year ago, Devin was seen as a starter in the NBA pretty clearly. Um, if he can do that, then potentially you could flip Deadman this summer. Um, if teams that have cap space look for a center that can shoot it, and that would be very pretty valuable. So um, I do think that if you can show that Deadman is the player that he was two years ago and last year, um, he becomes pretty tradable on that contract. So keep that in mind. They don't have to keep Deadman the entire time. And they are definitely buying low on Deadman. They're paying a pretty low price for him because of the fact that, that he was struggling so badly in Sacramento. So a lot of moving parts, I know, but alas. Uh, last thing in terms of the... Uh, impact here they're also getting a voice in the locker room and I think that can be overstated at times but I think the team has been pretty open about wanting that voice in the locker room and even talking about Devin specifically he brings that vocal he brings that vocal presence he's not like a legendary leader but at the same time Deadman was known for sort of being that vocal kind of leader guy makes a lot of noise and um, calls out stuff defensively and on the court and then in the locker room is a presence so that can't hurt this team. He was he was very well liked in Atlanta, and bringing him home that's a, sort of a side benefit, but it certainly could have been part of the calculus in bringing Deadman back. In terms of salary cap space, looking ahead, the Hawks have forty nine point two million dollars in projected space according to early bird rights to Jeff Siegel. That assumes that they're going to cut Nene, which at this moment they had not done just yet, but um, the deal was actually announced about Capella momentarily uh, ago. So that's going to be probably in the mix coming in very soon. Um, that $49.2 million number does not include cap holds for guys like Jeff Teague and DeAndre Bembry. If they want to keep those guys, the number would go down, but it doesn't seem likely to me necessarily. And it, But it does include, that number does include the cap hold for the number five overall pick, which is about the average of all of the projections on where the Hawks could pick. That could fluctuate, obviously, if the Hawks have a number one pick, for instance, they have less cap space. If they were to fall below number five, they'd have more cap space, et cetera, et cetera. Overall, I think this deal is just okay for the Hawks. It's not a bad deal. It's not a great deal. I think it's a deal that I would have done. So maybe like a C plus B minus kind of thing. Um, slight positive. I think the Capella trade, for instance, yesterday is a pretty clear positive. I think that I would grade that one better than this one for the Hawks. But 
you know, as much as I uh, wouldn't put this this deal in that category, I would like it more if we knew what the Hawks are going to get from Devin. That's the big swing here, is what Devin plays like, which seems obvious, but given the contrast between where he was last season in Atlanta when he played great to this season in Sacramento when he when he basically played terrible, wherever that baseline is will determine the evaluation of this deal. But even if it's you know, even if he's bad, it's not a disaster, and if he's really good, it's it becomes a strong positive kind of trade. So we'll see what happens there. Last thing on this deal, I do want to wish that I do want to wish Alex Len and Jabari Parker the best. They're both those guys were good to deal with. I'm of course a kind of an unabashed Alex Len fan, but even Jabari who was really good with the media. Enjoyed my time talking to him a few different times there. And for Alex in particular, I think he's in, I think he's pretty undervalued around the league. So hopefully those guys will do well in Sacramento. Len becomes their backup center. Parker will be battling, battling for playing time once he becomes healthy, et cetera, et cetera. But I want to wish those guys well. Okay, before we get to uh, the game stuff, a couple, I guess, uh, nuts and bolts to touch on real quickly here. Chandler Parsons is not a member of the Hawks anymore. Um, that deal is, um, the Hawks, as I said before on yesterday's podcast, the Hawks had to do something with the roster in order to make the space to make the Capella move because they were bringing in two players in Capella and Nene only setting out one in Turner. Parsons was one of those options, and word broke on Wednesday morning from Adrian Wojnarowski that it was going to be Parsons being waived. It was finally official as of about 9 p.m., so during the game on Wednesday night. No surprise there. Obviously, Parsons can't play right now because he's injured. And uh, once it became clear that they were not going to use his his big money to match salary, he was the logical choice because he wasn't helping, helping them on the court. I will say... Because they just did a two-for-one deal, the Hawks could have two roster spots in a pretty big hurry here. Once they move on from Nene, which I think everyone is assuming um, is going to happen, including myself, and now they're two, uh, this two-for-one deal that, that they're going to be doing with Deadman, Len, and Parker, you know, Brandon Goodwin would, would obviously be a target with one of those roster spots potentially, but then the Hawks could have that sort of revolving door of 10 days and rest of season contract guys and kind of just try to buy low and try to find a diamond in the rough kind of thing. Um, some flexibility there is good, and that could be happening in the coming days. I said this a second, a second ago as well, but the Clint Capella deal is now official. The Hawks announced it about 11 o'clock after the game. Um, there was a, a statement from Travis Schlenk in there about Clint Capella. No details changed, which is nice for people that have already talked about it, like myself. Um, just finally, final details here as a reminder, Capella and Nene coming to Atlanta, Evan Turner going out, um, the Brooklyn pick going out, and also a 2024 second rounder from Atlanta, um, which was... Uh, which was, by the way, um, one of the that pick was actually kind of uh, sold originally. Um, it was interesting that the number, the number forty-one pick this year in twenty nineteen actually went to Golden State for that pick um, in twenty twenty-four. So that deal um, was now completed. The Hawks lose that second-round pick in the future and the Brooklyn pick, but of course they add Capella, and there you go. Um, Oh, but just for the record, Capella will wear number 17. Uh, that's something that people like to know. So there you go on that. And we'll see if he joins the team on Sunday and have they if they have any sort of uh, media availability for Capella. Between now and the deadline on Thursday afternoon, I'm expecting a little bit a little bit of quiet for the Hawks, but they will have cap room once the uh, Nene move is executed. So the Hawks, if they wanted to, will have a will have a roster spot and cap room if they wanted to sort of be a team that could, um, you know take a player and then cut that player in order to get an asset or something like that. The Hawks could be a low-level sort of dumping around kind of thing in the next couple of hours, but um, I think we'll see what happens there <laughs> on that front. But the Hawks could be active, even if not on a very, very high level between now and 3 p.m. Okay, we're going to go to a break right now. Um, I know there's plenty of information, sort of dense information, and of course we'll, we'll take a step back and talk more about this stuff in the coming days. But um, here's a quick break, and we'll come right back with uh, thoughts on the game on Wednesday between the Hawks and the Wolves. 
All right, and we're back talking about the uh, Hawks getting a seven-point win in Minnesota. A little bit shorter recap than usual because there's just so much else going on. And this is kind of a weird game because Minnesota, who, by the way, had lost 12 games in a row, was playing incredibly shorthanded in this spot. They did have Carl Anthony Towns, but because the Wolves were prominently involved in that same four-team deal that the Hawks were, they sent out a lot of players. And as a result, even if that deal was not official at that point in time, they couldn't play any of those guys. So Minnesota was playing what amounts to a G League level roster outside of their top two or three guys. Um, it was pretty rough, and uh, that allowed the Hawks to take advantage of that throughout the game. The Hawks did play pretty well, though, for the most part in this spot, and they uh, were able to get a comfortable win, uh, even if the score was not as comfortable as it probably should have been uh, because of the fourth quarter. The uh, you know Early on in the game, the Hawks took the lead early um, and never never actually relinquished it. It was 9-3 to in the early going, and uh, Trey Young found Damian Jones on the first trip of the game. The Hawks were just attacking the rim at will, honestly. Lots of lobs for dunks. At one point, the Hawks had eight dunks um, and might even have risen from there when it came to Collins and Damian Jones. Um, they actually scored 1.7 points per, per possession in the first few minutes of this game, scored 16 points in the first four minutes, setting the tone. I thought Collins was excellent in the early going to uh, sort of be that centerpiece guy for Atlanta in addition to Trey Young, of course, with his typical offense and flying around on defense in this game. Um, the Hawks did play 10 guys in the first quarter because it was nice to have Downry Hunter back in the lineup, even though he was not actually very good in this game. Just having that depth, um, and Fernando played as well. well. We'll talk about him in a second um, because he had to leave the game early. But having a more normal rotation was also key in the spot from Atlanta. They shot the ball pretty well. Uh, there was actually a really fun chase down block from Jeff T, which I, which I really enjoyed, sort of in a time machine there. And then Bruno had a nice uh, hook shot at, over Carol Anthony Towns in the post right after that. But the Hawks led by 12 after the first quarter was with a lot of good offense. Second quarter, they pushed it to 15 in a hurry behind a three by John Collins in the early going. It was actually a great sequence by, by Naz Reed, who's on the Wolves, but a guy who I covered a lot in college and draft stuff. He had a, he blocked Collins and then hit a three. That was kind of a weird sequence. It was pretty awesome from him. But the Hawks did um, still lead the whole way, only up by eight at the half because of some letdown late in the second quarter. But still, the offense was really good before halftime. Trey had 20 at the half. Um, Collins had 15 and eight. And the defense did enough, creating 12 turnovers. That kind of allowed them to take control there. But during the halftime break, Bruno was actually ruled out for the rest of the game. Kind of in an odd way, uh, it was it was still the calf. Bruno's been out for a while, had not played since late January with that calf injury. The Hawks said um, that it was not a re-injury to the calf, but still concerning when you're talking about a soft tissue injury like that, um, to have it not you know, not be right, not, not be hundred percent right for a guy who is still a rookie and the Hawks have had, um, you know, every reason to be careful with him. We'll see if he's available on Friday, but not the greatest news in the world when you're dealing with that kind of uh, re-injury, maybe not re-injury specifically, but certainly like a, uh, a flare up of sorts when it comes to Bruno. Fortunately from there though, the Hawks did, um, go on a 19 to five run to open the game up considerably. They went up by as many as 22 points, um, during that stretch, John Collins had 22 and 10 early on in the third quarter. Um, they were pretty good in that third period overall. Um, it, did, it wasn't dominant outside of that first like four minutes, but that was enough to break the game open, and really it was uh, pretty safe the rest of the way. The Wolves did score 43 points in the fourth quarter because the Hawks did not play very well, and you could sell, you could see it on Lloyd Pierce's face in the post game. He was not thrilled by the fourth quarter. Um, he said, I think something like, we'll take the win, but he was not very happy with the fourth quarter, and I would agree with him. They were not very good in the fourth period defensively in particular, but the cushion was enough to where it did not necessarily matter because the Hawks were scoring at a high rate in the first three quarters. The Hawks were actually up 16 points still with four minutes to go and only one by seven because from there, they just kind of collapsed. There were some brain fart moments along, along the way. There was some nice offense from Minnesota, admittedly, in that spot. But then suddenly the Hawks were only up by seven late. 
the Wolves had a three, a pretty open three in the air to get it, to get it to four that actually missed. That was a big break, but then Hunter um, kind of inexplicably tried a layup that he had no business trying, uh, missed it, and then Okogie got a dunk on the other end of the floor for Minnesota, and it's only a five-point game with 48 seconds to go. The Hawks, again, are, are pretty big favorites there still, but considering where they were three minutes before that, it was a pretty big collapse in the moment. But fortunately, out of a timeout, they created a, a wide-open three by Vince Carter in the corner who made it, and that was uh, effectively the ceiling moment of the game, um, and the Hawks ended up winning by seven points. So, big picture in this game. Um, offensively, the, the Hawks were very good. You know, Minnesota's defense was not good throughout, so that has to be part of the evaluation here, but Atlanta did score kind of at will throughout most of this game. A 116 offensive rating is very good. They had uh, 52% from the floor, 41% from three, and they got to the line 30 times, making 28 of them, so very, very efficient shooting. Turnovers were a problem. They had 21. That's too many, but um, when you shoot when you shoot the ball the way that they did in this game, that was able to, uh, they were able to o- sort of overcome the lack of ball security. Defensively, it was not too bad for three quarters, and in the fourth quarter, it was quite bad. Um, they did a pretty good job on Towns, all things considered. He is a very talented player, but he was not very good in this game overall. I didn't think Wiggins and Okogie had nice games offensively for the most part, but the Hawks did a pretty good job until the fourth quarter. It wasn't great late, but the overall product, a 110 defensive rating, is not terrible. It isn't good either, but it's not like the worst the Hawks have been by any means. It was kind of average-ish for them overall, and uh, it was enough to get the victory. Um, individually in this game, there are some things to touch on briefly here. The Hawks did play 10 guys. The only guy who was active that did not play was Charlie Brown. Not a huge surprise there, but Travion Graham um, only had, like, I think, two stints, and they were pretty short. Eight minutes for Travion. Did not score three, three rebounds and an assist. He was okay defensively, actually, but didn't uh, didn't play a ton there with Hunter back in, back in available. Fernando played seven minutes in the first half, um, only before he left the game. I thought he was pretty decent in his time, had four points, had a, and a steal. Wasn't fantastic, but was certainly not um, bad out there. Jeff Teague had nine points on only three field goal attempts, actually got to the line for seven free throw attempts. He was seven for seven, um, had two assists and, and a steal and a block. Um, uneven, I would say, from Jeff, but wasn't wasn't bad, wasn't great. Um, just kind of right in the middle, even if it was kind of high and low at times. Vince Carter was quiet, but had, uh, you know, the, the game ceiling shot at the end. This is his only field goal of the game, actually. He was one of two in 16 minutes, had three points, was plus 10. I thought he was okay. And then Brandon Goodwin was, uh, I thought, pretty good off the bench. Nine points and eight rebounds for Goodwin in 20 minutes, playing with a lot of force defensively. Didn't shoot it great, but uh, other than that, I thought it was, it was actually quite effective and uh, gave the Hawks some burst off the bench that they actually needed in this game when they were playing pretty small. Um, to the starters, Damian Jones had a better game here. I've been critical of Damian recently um, for some shaky play. He was much better in this game. 14 points, 8 rebounds, 2 assists, 2 steals, and a block for Damian. He was plus 7 in 24 minutes. It was efficient. I think all 6 of his field goals were either dunks or layups. That's the way it should be for Damian Jones, but I thought he was actually pretty good. So credit to him for playing, uh, playing against Towns and holding his own in this matchup. Um, Hunter, as I said before, was pretty shaky. The numbers actually looked pretty decent. For DeAndre, had 12 points, 5 rebounds, and 2 assists, was plus 8, which is actually one of the better ones in the game. But I thought he had a couple of really bad moments, didn't play with a whole lot of force defensively, um, had the bad decision late that kind of uh, was magnified given when it happened, but he was not fantastic. Uh, There was probably some rust after not playing for a few days here but we'll see how he responds to this. Um, I think he can certainly play better. He shot the ball fine, but just wasn't terribly aggressive offensively and uh, didn't play with a whole lot of force, and the Hawks need more from him in the future. Kevin Hurd was a little bit more quiet in this game, but was still 5 of 10 from the floor, was efficient enough, had 11 points, 3 assists, and 4 rebounds. Just kind of an average night for Kevin. Probably needs to be more aggressive than this, but after the two games previous when he was eclipsing 20 points, it felt fine that he uh, didn't have as big of a night here. 
And then the two big, um, the, the two big names were the two big performers for the Hawks in this game. Not a huge surprise there, but Trey Young, thirty-eight points, eleven assists in this spot. He was 10 of, 12, 10 of twenty-three from the floor, six of thirteen from three, which is very very good. And then twelve of thirteen from the free throw line. So only four of ten on twos. But other than that, you can't really complain about anything with Trey Young in this game. Um, he was very, very explosive. Offensively, got to wherever he wanted to get to offensively with, with his passing as well and his shooting and a couple of logo threes. And he was just fantastic in this game offensively. Um, John Collins, equally good and honestly might even be even better on the on the full uh, on the full game level because of his defense. I thought his defense was actually quite good. 27 points, 12 rebounds for Collins, had a block shot um, and was just generally causing havoc, playing really hard. Played 41 minutes. That's actually quite a bit for Collins. It might even be, I'm looking it up now actually as I talk because I forgot to look this up earlier, but um, this was definitely one of the larger deployments of the season for John in a non-overtime setting. In fact, I believe, yes, it, it actually was. It was the highest minute total of the season for John Collins. Now, that could have been because he played well, which I'm sure it was. Also because, you know, the Hawks were kind of shorthanded after Bruno was was unable to play. But still, you know, Collins was very good was able to maintain his energy level, and I thought he just played very well in this game. Um, it's sometimes as simple as that, but his defense, he was very active. He was in passing lanes. He was contesting shots on, on the weak side. We'll see how he fares when he's playing, you know, I would say alongside a better rim protector in Clint Capella or even Deadman, honestly. But the way that Collins has been more of a playmaker defensively this year, that should play into his strengths. And he thought he played great in this game. And he and Young were, of course, the biggest reason why the Hawks were able to win this game, combining for 65 points on good efficiency. So all that said, this is a lot of ground to cover on one single podcast. But here we go. Um, last thing on the podcast for today anyway, is that the deadline arrives on Thursday afternoon. If the Hawks don't do anything else, I probably won't have another emergency podcast because I've had so many podcasts, you know, three within 24 hours at this point in time and my eyes are kind of bleeding. But if the Hawks do anything else, we'll come back with a, with another pod. And, um, you know, at the very, very latest here, the Hawks play on Friday night in Boston. We'll have a podcast about that game and then anything else that is stray from the deadline itself. Um, but yeah, might have a podcast Thursday, might not. We'll see how things go on the deadline pod. But uh, please keep reading peacetreehoops.com where the written content is. Follow me on Twitter at BT Roland. Follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Hawks. And hopefully, hopefully you guys are enjoying the frenzy that has been happening the last couple of days. And uh, sort of in totality, the Hawks have done two moves that I thought were pretty decent. So there you go. Stay tuned. We'll see everybody um, in the next, uh, next day or two, I should say. Um, and thank you as always for listening. We'll see you next time.